Hi guys, welcome to Self Care Sundays. This is Han, and I'm joined by the beautiful Naz and the beautiful Fadosa. Hello, hello. Welcome to the podcast, Fadosa. Thank you, Hannah. Thank you, Naz. It's really great to be a part of the program today. I was looking forward to it. No, we're so excited to have you. How are you? How's the lockdown going? Are you relaxing? <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is going to sound weird, but I'm actually enjoying the lockdown because <laughs> I've been working like, you know, nonstop and just on the run. And you know how the weather is set up these days. I'm so happy to just wake up in my PJs and just go to the computer and go to the meetings and just not go outside. <laughs> It was definitely overdue. I think everyone that you see is like, oh, thank God it's here. <laughs> <laughs> the first lockdown that we all went into, everyone got a bit depressed, but then that went on for a long time. I think we could all appreciate this one week. Like it's just the one week of silence. It's almost like a little mini break and a little mini holiday from our yeah. <laughs> lives. That's, that's true. That is so true. It's all we just, everyone I look at and I see even at work, <laughs> when when we were all leaving, everyone was like, yay, everyone just taking their bag and running away. <laughs> <laughs> we would have thought we would appreciate basically being in prison, imprisoned in our own houses. <laughs> not too long though. <laughs> yeah, not for too long. Yeah. I love it. So for Dosa, just for our audience, can you tell us like a little bit about yourself? Can you tell us, um, I know you're doing a bit of research. I know you um, have some topics that you're passionate about. Thanks, Hannah. Um, so I'm Fadosa Omar. I work for the Department of Education and I'm a mum of one, a two-year-old <laughs> toddler. Yeah, I've just started studying counselling okay. at IAPC. I have been doing a little bit of research on narcissism and yeah, I just wanted to share a little bit about, you know, narcissism and that, you know, the epidemic <laughs> of narcissism. <laughs> <laughs> so previously I had no, you know, I didn't have a lot of information about narcissism until I came across a video on Red Table Talk from okay. Dr. Ramani and then I got into it. So the lot in the whole of January till now, I've just been looking into narcissism. What have you learned about narcissism? The scariest thing I learned is that narcissistic people don't change. And that like really, that's one of the things that prompted me to look into it deeper and like see, because I've, I've, I've been a person that always felt like, you know, people can change. Of course, people, you know, will change. and But like realizing that narcissistic people have a, very small chance of changing only because they will never come forward and, and you know reflect on themselves mm. like normal people who are empathetic will reflect and see oh I've done this wrong and I've hurt this person like this what can I do to change or how can I move from this narcissistic people will never do that because of you know mm. their grandiose sense of self and feeling like they're above everyone else and thinking everyone else is below them that's why they will never come forward and seek that change or make a difference in their lives. When you were looking at the traits of a narcissist, did you kind of realize there's people around you that were portraying those traits? Absolutely. Yeah. There is people around me that are portraying those traits. And I have known people that, that had those traits. And I've always, like, as a person, I've always been a fixer, <laughs> someone that tries to 
picks people and I've been drawn to people that are narcissistic and thought, you know, maybe, you know, because of their pain, maybe they will change because of how they, and I've always found myself tired in that cycle. And I've realized, oh no, like now that has been like a big realization that, whoa, you need to step back because, you know, you have seen A, B, C, D, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven traits in this person that actually indicate that they are narcissistic and there's different types. So there's the malignant narcissist who is those people that complain. I know, Hannah, you've like touched on, on this subject before. There is some that will hold, you know, they will hold a grudge against you, never let it go. Um, the people that feel like the whole world is to blame and everyone else is wrong aside from them. And they mm. will, you know, it's hard to like tell these people, but they, these are the people that if when you call them, they'll complain, constantly complain. And the whole world is against them and that everyone is unfair to them and they're always on the right and everyone else is wrong and then there's the ones that will do everything they will cheat lie harm and do everything and still you know get away with it yeah I think narcissistic people also have a tendency to abuse their partners when they're in relationships you know yes. because they, they're coming at it with from this perspective that they're always right so you know, they're always putting down their partner or they're manipulative because they have the power and they have the control in the situation. Like, and that's like what we wanted to focus on in today's episode. Um, we wanted to talk about domestic violence and abusive relationships because we know that there are so many people who are dealing with this right now. And you've probably, you know, come across that in, in your research and in your study of, of counseling. Domestic violence is something that impacts everyone, regardless of you know, their, their bank accounts, their ethnicity, their status. We've seen celebrities going through this, you know, the whole Rihanna, Chris Brown and Tory Lanes and Megan, whatever her last name is, Stallion or whatever. But that's why I like this stuff. <laughs> it's such an important topic, you know, but like I wanted to just start first by just asking what actually is domestic violence and what what is an abusive relationship? Abuse like has different forms. It comes in different shapes and forms and it could be emotional it can be physical and it can be you know financial the worst one is physical and emotional according to me physical is the one you know that everyone sees this person has been beat up by this person they are bruised they're battered they've been taken to the hospital and you know everyone can see that but the one that a lot of people sometimes don't you know see is the emotional because it doesn't show like let's say someone mm. wakes up in the morning, they have been emotionally abused. You can't tell whether they are just having a bad day or they have been abused. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and you're right. Like a lot of people, when they think about domestic violence, they think about that physical aspect of it, you know, but there's there are silent symptoms as well, like emotional abuse, which I think is, you know, the same as psychological abuse. Also financial abuse. Like there are some abusive men who like control their partner's access to finances you know they'll like yeah prevent them from contacting their family and friends you know Absolutely. all as part of yeah their effort to control them getting yelled at you know getting rejected being gaslit being put down you know when your partner makes you feel like afraid or intimidated or threatens you when they isolate you when they mm. you, they intimidate you so emotional abuse there is more aspects to emotional abuse than there is physical abuse it's not so straightforward yeah. no 
Yeah. yeah. And even physical abuse sometimes starts with emotional abuse. So it starts from mm. emotional abuse and then slowly, slowly goes to physical abuse. When people usually like ignore the red flags of emotional and what's emotional abuse, you know, what qualifies mm-hmm. as being emotional abuse? How does someone mm-hmm. tell, oh, okay, I'm being emotionally abused here. How do they know? Mm-hmm. I don't know. This is the way that I think about it and conceptualize it in my head. Like, I feel like one of the signs that you're being emotionally abused is when the person that you're with is constantly demeaning you and constantly putting you down. You know, and all of that is like an effort to like put down your self-esteem and your self-worth, you know, or or for them to like make it known that that they have the control in this relationship, you know, and, and that they have the power. And if they can do this with psychological abuse, then often they don't they don't even need to go to physical abuse because it's like, hey, I basically control you right now. So yeah, yeah, you know, they've they've achieved their objective. <laughs> A few interesting red flags that I like, which is when a partner like love bombs you. So at the start is like what they do is, you know, they'll act like you're, you know, the most amazing person in the world. They don't know what they'll do without you. They'll make you feel really special. And then once that person gets attached, what they do is they'll start devaluing you. They'll put you down with little comments. They start blaming you for things that you haven't done. They put doubts in your head about your own character or about your own self-worth. A big red flag is when someone is just giving you so much love. Like, I mean, there's nothing wrong with getting a lot of love, but too much love. And then all of a sudden that love kind of turns into bullying or you being put down. And Hannah, that's absolutely true. And that takes back takes us back to narcissistic personalities. So these people are, it's one of one of their traits, the love bombing. <laughs> you know, I've had I had a girlfriend who went on a date. And the, her date took her to a five-star restaurant. And on the first day, he gave her a $500 perfume. Oh, and wow. I was like to her, whoa, that is a major red flag. <laughs> why would he give you a $500 perfume on the first day? <laughs> he's, trying to, he's trying to buy your, your, your attention. <laughs> Absolutely. Or oh, he has other, other things in mind. And it ended up, you know, it didn't last before he started asking for something else. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the love bombing is really, it's is something. Narcissists do that. They love bomb the person. And once they get you, they start devaluing you. Mm. Yeah, it's definitely about power. It's about mm. control. Once you give someone so much love, and especially like an empathetic person or an anxious attached person that's just looking for love and affection and once you give them all that love, it's just like, okay, they'll do anything for you. And then it's like, okay, let me start putting them down. Let me start making them feel like crap to think that I'm the only one that will want them. Mm. Will yeah, it's a them. trap. Yeah. It's a trap. Yeah, I think another early red flag that people sometimes don't recognize is like when they're the person that they're with, and I'm talking very early in the relationship, starts doing things to control them. For example, you know, like their partners will pick out their outfits or tell them this looks bad on you, wear this. I know it it doesn't seem like a big deal, you know, or they'll start saying things like, I want to spend time with you. I don't like when you hang out with your friends all the time. Stop hanging out with your friends, you know, or like they want you to be home at a certain time or whatever. There's a lot of women that think that's very romantic. Mm-hmm. That's okay. There's, there's nothing Absolutely. wrong with that. It's romantic. That is Look so how jealous true. he is. 
Oh my God, that is so true. <laughs> and I feel like if a lot of people just open their eyes wide enough during the dating stage, they will save themselves a lot of trouble. Because yeah. you know how uh, Maya Angelou said, if when people show you who they are the first time, believe them. And mm. it's true. And what happens is a lot of people, they see, I know a lot of girlfriends who like have seen the red flags in the dating stage, but then decided to, you know, ignore it. Yeah. If you only open your eyes wide enough, you will actually see all the red flags that, you know, mm. that you need to avoid. Things like controlling, it could start, like Master said, in the dating stage. I don't want you hanging around my friends, like the control. You see it from the beginning because how long can someone hide? They yeah, can't I mean, hide for too long. They will literally show their true colors soon enough. Yes, yeah. You said something about gaslighting beforehand. I like that's also yeah, an early- This is something I've definitely experienced. And when I was experiencing it, I didn't even know what it was. And it definitely made me feel, made me feel like I was going crazy. It kind of made me feel like I needed to like question my own sanity. The person will make you feel that the problem is your fault. So even if you don't remember it being that way, they make you feel bad and they make you want to apologize. So I'll probably like go up to someone and just be like, look, I'm really upset that you've done this, but they've twisted it into a way where like they've made the story seem like everything happened because of me. And I'll walk away out of that conversation or argument saying, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And I'll just feel so bad. But when you actually sit down and evaluate, I didn't do anything. (laughs) Exactly. Mm. And it's crazy because they literally make you question your own your own sanity. You feel like you're going crazy. You feel like, have, have I lost my mind? Have they lost their mind? Like, do they not remember? Am I like, what happened? What actually happened? And then they make you feel like, you know what? No, everything's your fault. Everything happened because of you. And even if I did hurt you, it's because you hurt me first. It's because wow. you did that first. It's wow. because, you know what? Forget about what I did to you. It's because you did that first. And that's why I'm doing this to you. So it's your fault. And you're just blame like, shifting. Yeah, and that's another one. That's another red flag, and and it's awful. Absolutely, and even in the dating stage, look at how someone reacts to disagreements. Mm. Look at how they handle when you get into an argument. If there is no even any argument at the beginning or like any disagreement, that's a red flag in its own. But I was just saying, I was telling Nasr that the other day. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you were saying, I don't know if I, I... how do I know if I like someone until we've had our first fight? I think it's legitimate to think yeah, that way. Like, we need to have our first argument for me to actually see how you react. What are you yes. going to do? Yeah. Yeah. What are you going to do? Absolutely. Yeah. Like, and how are you going to react to it? Yeah. If, yeah. And, and watch how if someone genuinely apologizes and they genuinely feel bad about what they did, if it was their fault, then you know, you know, this is someone that's going to take responsibility if something goes down along the line if, you know, the relationship progresses. But if they don't take any responsibility and they gaslight the whole situation, make you confused, make you apologize for something that they have done, that's time to run. Yeah. Yes. And if this keeps happening repeatedly, because one question that people ask, and even myself, like I think about this, like what's the difference between a normal fight in a relationship versus verbal abuse or emotional abuse like how do I know I'm being abused or is this just a fight like any couple fights you know and I feel like the difference between an argument is that an argument both people are equal do you know what I mean like they're when you're being verbally abused you feel like the person is actually attacking you you know purposely to damage your self-esteem or you know they're gaslighting you and it's like 
the argument just doesn't end. Usually an argument ends and the person takes responsibility, as you're saying, takes accountability. But if this is their response every single time you're, you're fighting, every single time you have an argument, then you're, he's just an abusive person. You're in an abusive relationship. And I think that's the difference. Absolutely. So before I got married, I, you know, I've, I've had very different relationships and, you know, each relationship ended because I, each time I saw the red flags and I said, oh my God, you know, I can't deal with this. I'm not going to be able to, you know, accept this along the line and ended up, you know, getting out. And like, before I got married, like I had a list of things I know I'm not going to deal with this. I'm not going to accept this. If it shows up in early, I, I will just run away. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's like, it is really important to have clarity around mm. what you're going to accept and what you're not going to accept. Yes. Have, no, have set your boundaries. No, mm. that's that's definitely important. I think that list that you've mentioned is important as well because I, I know I've realised that what I used to find attractive is probably like my red flags now. <laughs> It's toxic, yeah. Yeah, so like I I would say to my friends, oh, I want a man that's obsessive or really, really likes me or really does this or, you know, cares about this. And I'm like, no, when I kind of had to sit down and analyse it, I'm like, okay, I need to (laughs) revalue what I find attractive or what I like because that's going to end me in a toxic relationship. Absolutely. Hannah, it's like that's exact. that was me back in the days. I used to think, oh, I want someone who's obsessed with me, who really like, you know, is always care, like always is onto me. Like, you know, everything that at that time I thought I wanted was quite toxic. (laughs) You know? (laughs) And it's a lot of a lot of people, like a lot of young people are in that they have that mentality. Like, you know, my friend, like I said, went out on a date and you know he gave her a five hundred dollar perfume and you know I we focus more on how someone looks, what they're driving, what they have, you know, how he presents himself, a lot of um, superficial talk, like not important things. And usually people forget the most important things, which is the kindness, the empathy, how someone is, who they are like on the inside and how they're going to treat you. No, that's, that's so, that that's so true. Like, I think the first time I was love bombed, I thought it was the most amazing thing that happened to me. (laughs) And then, no, I'm not going to lie. I thought, it was, um, I thought it was amazing. I was like, I'm in heaven. I, I've never felt like this, you know, but then now I don't know why I always end up getting love bombers, but every time that I get a love bomb, I'll call up Nasra, Nasra, what do I say to you? Like, <laughs> You're like, I don't believe anything that this person is saying. Yeah. They are not genuine. Yeah. 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 So now it's good to definitely know what the red flags are. It saves you from a lot of pain. <laughs> and also to know what you want. Sometimes, you know, some people will not know what are red flags and what, if they don't know themselves, if they don't know who they are and what they want. And if there's a lot of, if they're carrying a lot of pain, a lot of trauma, a lot of confusion, like they're not even clear about what they want. You won't know what's a red flag and what's not. Because like so many of us grow up in households where there's a lot of dysfunction. We don't see a lot of marriages that are thriving, that are like, we don't see our great grandparents like, you know, loving each other, like, you know, your typical Adan families. <laughs> but it's like with us, we see all these, you know, around us and we don't have that support from our culture. We don't have that support from everyone around us to give us clarity or make us strong in our marriages. 
So what we have mm-hmm. is just ourselves and our own research and, and you know, it's, a, it's an uphill battle, you know what I mean? Culturally, definitely is like a big factor that decides whether or not someone stays in an abusive relationship or leaves. Because sometimes, yeah, you're right, like sometimes people don't know what their red flags are, so they're kind of oblivious to the abuse happening. But sometimes people know what the red flags are. They know that abuse is happening, but then they, they feel stuck in their relationship. And that's because of the cultural, like the pressure. Yeah. yeah. People stigmatise you walking out of a relationship, like especially culturally, like you're looked down upon if you get a divorce. I mean, not so much anymore, but you, you're looked as a failure and people hold on to that relationship, even if it's the worst thing in the world. It's just like, okay, I don't want to be looked as a failure. I don't want to be divorced or I don't want to leave or I need to get married. So I'm going to stick, I'm going to go through this relationship, even though I can see all the red flags because I have to, because I'm, I'm a girl that's maybe in her late twenties, that's still not married, you know, and I, I'm, you know, the, the society is going to look at me different. You know, it's very unfortunate how our culture is set up and how much stigma is thrown to people who choose to walk out of toxic marriages and who people who choose to put their mental well-being and their own well-being before everything else. Where we should be like, you know, encouraging people to supporting them and uplifting them when they're in that situation. Unfortunately, we have a culture that preys on that, that like, um, you know, so-and-so got divorced, what happened, da-da-da-da. It's just the gossip starts, the putting down, like, you know, being viewed as, like you said, Hannah, as someone who has failed. You yeah, know, but yeah. they would rather see someone be constantly depressed in a marriage that's toxic than to see them thrive and look for something better. Yeah, 100%. But, you know, it's, I think it's, it's going to change with this generation. It's going to change with us because then it's, it's not normal because in, in our culture there's a saying that says, which means that yeah. you'd rather marry 30 than suffer. You know what I mean? So you mean like you'd rather stay in a bad marriage than no, no, like no. suffer? No, no, no. The saying is you'd rather marry 30 than stay in like a bad relationship or is in suffer in a relationship. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Or like like live live in suffering basically, yeah. Yes. Mm. In the culture, the, it, it it's clear that that's, you know, living in a in while you're suffering is not good, but at the same time there's like all these you know, people that are stigmatizing that are putting people down for choosing a better path for themselves. And getting out for choosing for choosing peace essentially for choosing absolutely. Mm. I feel like there's a lot of people in our community who don't believe women when they come out and speak their truth as well. You know, like the people that you're supposed to go to for support, like faith leaders or or whatever it is. You know, you go to your your imam or you go to the board of imam councils or whatever it is, and they don't believe you. Like they just think, oh, you're overplaying it. You know, it's really not a big deal. Just go back home, play nice, and everything will be fine. So yeah. what's that person going to think? Because they've, they've taken such a massive step to actually say this is what is happening behind closed doors, you know, and that's taken a lot of courage. And often the first people that they talk to, it could even be their parents. It could be people that are closest to them. They shut them down, and then that person goes back into their hole, and they're like, well, I'm never talking about this again. Yeah, and religious gaslighting is real. So where the religion is like weaponized against women um, in our culture, when, you know, the religion actually puts, has, has, 
given us so many rights. But, you know, you will find so many religious leaders, sheikhs, even when they're giving their sermons, I stop listening to so many sheikhs because of how much they target women, you know, um, and how much focus they put on how a woman should, how much they glorify women taking care of their husbands, like babying them. And they say nothing about how women should be looked after and how, you know, um, a man should be a, a good husband, a good father, a good man. You know, they don't focus on that. Mm. So there's the whole element of religious gaslighting as well. And where, you know, your reality is distorted, where they say, you know, this man is providing for you. He's giving you money. So what if he's giving me money? I'm not getting kindness. I'm not getting empathy, which is, you know, be someone and, and love. These are the, the essential building blocks for someone's whole existence. Let's mm. say someone is given money and they have millions of dollars. Honestly, you could have millions of dollars and all the diamonds in the world and everything else in the biggest house. If you don't have love, kindness, empathy, you will feel like a shell, like an empty shell. And you will die of like illnesses even before you, you know, you reach 40 or 30. That's actually quite interesting because I had a friend that went to the board of imams and then the first thing they asked her is, is he providing for you and your kids financially? That's literally the first question. And that's mm. insane. And like, she was like, no, he's not providing for us financially. Like, okay, now we can have a chat, <laughs> you know, now we can talk. And why that, is that the most important? Why is that important? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Why is money the most important thing? Here's the thing with our culture, they have made women, it's like women look after the house, man bring the money and that's it. You know what I mean? Even if it means that the woman is really struggling looking after the house and you know, she needs, she's not getting any other support aside from money. It's okay. I know my, you know, my auntie who was advising one of my relatives and she said, isn't he giving you money? That's what's important. He's giving you money. I don't know why she's complaining. Like she was looking down on her for yeah. complaining and for asking for what she needs. And because, you know, we, we come from a culture where a woman's needs is shoved, it's, it's thrown under the carpet. No one wants to hear it. That's where the problem is. Yes. That's where it stems from. And unless we speak for ourselves, unless we say, you know what, I need you to be kind. If, if I don't get any kindness from you, if I don't get love from you, if you're not helping me around the house, you know, if I'm not feeling valued by you as an equal, I'm out of that door. If we had enough women saying yeah. that, then that wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't reach this point where we are, you know, so many women feel devalued and then gaslighted when they get out. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's, that also brings to another point of why women stay is because they don't think they're good enough. By the time mm. it reaches that point, they don't think they're good enough and they don't think they'll find anyone again. They'll be like, you know what, this is as best. This is the best it's going to get. I'm not good enough. Their self-esteem drops and they think, you know what, I might as well stay with him. This is the best I'm going to get. This is good enough. But then that's the whole objective of the abuser. Yeah. That, yeah. That's why they're abusing you so that you feel trapped, so that, you know, that, that, that's, what, that's where the constant criticism comes in. They want to break down those walls. They want to break down your self-esteem so that you don't leave ever. Yeah, and when you leave, the whole society is structured in a way that it will break you, you know. They label women. They give them names. It's a whole connected thing that, you know, they make sure you feel like even the term single mother has been made to sound like it's a bad thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, when yeah, you yeah. And they 
make sure that you feel bad enough that you never get out, that you always stay in the abuse. But yeah, like, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, it's, yeah. But then there are also like a lot of women who tie their whole identity to the life that they've built with this partner and their family unit because that's what's normal. That That's what they think their role should be. So changing that makes them feel uncomfortable, you know? And of course, like it's because of what society thinks that you should be doing, but then they've grown up like that, you know, and they've seen their, you know, their, their parents' relationship and they think, okay, well, this is, this is the role I'm supposed to be playing. And who would I even be if I wasn't a wife anymore? Who would yeah. I be? And then they feel like they can't change because of that. And it make, gives them anxiety even thinking about living a life without their partner. Yeah, and I think society also glorifies the ride, the ride or die mentality. Like, oh, you know, this is my man. I'm going to stick beside him, you know. But it's like, are you riding and dying for someone that's abusing you, that's someone neglecting you, someone that's not helping you, showing you love? So it's like, they're like, no, 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 but like, I'm going to stick by my man no matter what. But it's like you're sticking by your man with the price of your mental health. Mm, absolutely. And it's like you're emotionally starving and you're just there every night going to bed feeling sad, every day you're walking around, everybody thinks you're fine, but you're miserable, you're sad, you're depressed. And even your children are going to grow up feeling depressed because, you know, how we are is how our children will be. And they suck the energy, they see our energy. And I swear any day when I'm not like not happy, I can see it in my daughter. When I'm happy, I can see it in her. When I'm like joyous, when I'm really, everything, like she picks that from me. And it's like, you know, the, the damage, Look, you know, there's so much damage being caused all in the name of I'm going to stay in this so I can show everybody I'm a ride or die while I'm dying. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do you think that people who have grown up in violent households and have like maybe experienced their dad abusing their mother, do you think they're more likely to then perpetrate abuse in their relationships when they grow up or when they're adults? <laughs> 110%. They are more likely. Mm. Um, unless there's a significant change that happened to them along the line, unless they have really reflected on what, you know, what they have grown up with and their trauma. And because that's that's a traumatizing, you know, thing to witness your parents physically abusing one another or one person getting abused. It's it's a big trauma. Unless someone has really reflected on themselves and they have done you know, the steps required to heal their trauma, they are more likely to repeat it in their houses. Yeah, because they normalize the behavior. They think this is the way that I'm supposed to behave. This is my role as a man. I need to have authority. I need to have power. I need to have control because that's how my my parents' relationship functions. Yep. And they see their mom, if they see their mothers not doing anything, you know, to get out of that relationship or do some. I know people whose mothers walked out of toxic marriages or where they were being abused, and that really changed the young men's view on marriage. Because, you know, he said, one of them said to me, if my mom didn't walk out, then I would have been abusive now. But if I, I had seen my mom walk out and not accept that, that has made me respect women you know, and be more kind to women and more empathetic to women and see that women also have a voice and they have power to walk out. You see now that mom has really impacted her son, you know, years after after the whole thing happened. Yeah. And positively. 
Yes. Yeah. And I, and I think I think perpetrators also abuse because they want power. They they're trying to prove maybe to themselves, maybe they're to their family, maybe to their friends that they're a man. They're insecure yeah. deep down yeah. inside. Like it all yeah. comes from insecurity. Yeah. Yeah. And and interesting enough, sometimes abusers can be women as well. So women can be narcissistic as well, and they can perpetrate abuse to men that are empathetic, that are understanding, that are giving them everything they need. But because they themselves are narcissistic and they will not understand what a good man is and to appreciate a good man, they end up abusing him. And they end up tearing him down and they end up demasculating him and putting him down just so he doesn't walk out of that marriage. Yeah, Yeah, that definitely happens. I think at a less lesser rate than you know violence against women, but it's it's definitely out there. And the and the messed up thing is that there's actually no support for men who are being abused by a woman. You know, there's like in terms of like what services are available, it's it's very little. So it's very hard for men like that to first of all, speak out about it because it says something about their manlyhood, and then secondly, to, to actually get help. Generally, not even a lot of support for men around their emotions. Men's emotions are never supported. They, they don't have a place to go to and speak out how they're feeling or like even normalizing them being sensitive, being vulnerable, being emotional, because they're constantly taught to be tough and rough oh, yeah. and hard. Yeah, and, you have to be hard. You have to be a man. They're not supposed to talk about their feelings. Yeah, but that's all toxic masculinity, right? And it's like when we're talking about preventing family violence, like if we want to live in a world where no woman is abused ever, we have to start at these toxic gender roles. We have to start at toxic masculinity. And that's what it means. And it can start as early as integrating in in education. Like you said, you worked in education for DOSA, but like maybe we can start by educating children when they're young about what a healthy relationship actually looks like absolutely and being vulnerable Um, just being vulnerable with their feelings as well it just starts off as like telling your son like it's okay to cry or it's okay to be sad or it's okay to have emotions it's not like oh hey toughen up you fell now you know be a man those words impact a child when he gets older a hundred percent hundred percent and we need to have like just normalize talking about emotions normalize talking about pain normalized talking about vulnerability for men yeah 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 I think on on the other side like when it comes to seeking support you know I feel like while we need to focus out if it's on supporting women so that they can get out of an abusive relationship so that they can get on you know they stand on their two feet independently from their abusive partner I feel like at the same time we need to be putting effort into the perpetrator and actually changing their behavior because that same man who's abusive, you leave now, he's just going to abuse someone else. Mm. <laughs> you yeah. know, so that's why we have to we have to focus on behavior change programs for men who are abusers. Put them into programs, link them in with counseling. In fact, it should be mandatory. I know that seems like <laughs> extreme. But no, but it I, I think, be I think mandatory. It, isn't it mandatory if they do commit like a crime? Only if it's very serious and if they have, like, an, a court order against them, basically. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. There should be, like, mandatory counselling for people who hurt other people and, you know, end up going around and causing all this havoc with other people. <laughs> yeah. Know? Let's address that shit. Like, why are you like this? <laughs> yeah. But here's the thing. Sometimes um, there's people that, are, that that will never change. So even addressing and saying why you like this or why you're not changing 
it's not going to help them. The best thing is to just walk away and avoid them. Yeah. yeah. Especially yeah. narcissists and all these, you know, traits. A lot of, I feel like young people should be educated on who's a narcissist and what, what traits should they look out for? Yeah, it's, it's, it's actually crazy. I, a friend was talking to me last year and he was um, like, so he experienced he experienced abuse with a narcissist. So he was telling me about these traits and gaslighting. This is That's the first time in my grown-ass age that I found out what narcissist was. This, it's insane. <laughs> like, it took me I, all this, this whole time. I didn't know. And then he's like, you know, sent me YouTube videos, everything. And I'm like, yeah. I can't believe it. Like this could have prevented me from a lot of pain in my life. Absolutely. But I didn't know what it was. Absolutely. And Hannah, it's like a light bulb yeah. in your head when you first see it. It's like, yeah. oh my yeah. God. So that's that's who that person is. And that's who yeah. that person is. Like, oh my God, I should have like, had I like not known, had I known this early enough, it would have saved me a lot of yeah, it even you, know, you even learn a lot about yourself, who they attract. Like if you're an empath, like I'm an empath, so it I learned a lot about my behavior and why I act a certain way and why I do what I do and why I attract certain people. So I think it's very important to be educated and it will stop you from a lot of heartache and a lot of pain. Mm. And you know what? The first part of that education is just reaching out and talking to someone because I think what we've talked about today is possibly hits a sensitive spot for a lot of people, either because they're going through the same thing or they know someone going through the same thing so if this conversation has triggered anything for anyone listening please reach out and seek some support you can call 1-800-RESPECT or 1-800-737-732 yeah and I know it's COVID at the moment and you are at home and if you are locked in the house with someone that's abusing you you are allowed to leave your house at any time to escape family violence you won't be fined you can contact Safe Steps on 1-800-015-188 any time of the day or any time of the night. Thank you so much for joining us, Dosa. We should probably wrap up because I knew we were going to go over time with this topic. Yeah, it was great to hear your your perspective and, and hear about your research and I look forward to having more conversations with you. No, I really, really enjoyed as well. I'm like, you know what? We need to get a coffee with you. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Thank you guys for having me. And I'm more than happy to come back again another time or for another topic. Been a pleasure talking to you guys today. No, thank you so much. And enjoy your little break. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> you too. All right. Bye. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for joining us. I hope you enjoyed Fordusa as much as we did. And I hope you enjoyed this topic as well. If you are experiencing any type of family violence or any type of abuse and you want to talk, our DMs and our emails are open. Make sure you check out our Instagram, Self Care Sundays Pod, Sundays with a Z, and we're out. See you later, everyone. Bye. Bye.